If you have a Bible nearby, uh, let's turn to Psalm 68. If you don't have one with you, uh, I believe that there are some in the pews. Psalm 68. We're going to look again at verses 5 and 6 that we began last week. Verse 5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Those two verses um, were kind of where, uh, where God had me on our uh, first, the first time we sent anyone over to uh, Calcutta, India. Uh, John Ringo and I went last January uh, to meet for the first time uh, a man named Nabeen and his wife Matilda who are uh, who, who God has, has called to open up a home for children uh, who were homeless and uh, living on their own there in the city. And so we started a partnership with them through uh, the um, kind of connection of His Voice Global and our friends uh, Vernon and Amber Berger. They kind of introduced us and kind of set that up and then they've now they're kind of playing a uh, a different role now as as we are kind of the, the lead partner in the U.S. with them and they're kind of there as a resource and help us stay connected and help out however they can and so these verses were used again uh, Adam Iglesias and I went a couple weeks ago and so I found myself again in Psalm 68 and the first time I went it was it was it was pretty personal, so it wasn't something that I really came back, and uh, it always bothered me when, anytime somebody teaches and they're like, I'm going to I'm 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 teach you stuff that the Lord's been teaching me. Uh, you know, well, it doesn't always bother me, but sometimes it bothers me because I feel like, well, that's just the easiest thing to teach, and who knows if what he's been teaching you, if that's meant to go corporate. You know? So last time, I didn't really feel like this psalm was something to really come back and teach through in, in the way that I feel like now because I feel like this time God has, has, has passed down some things that are for our, for our church family, for, for us and uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes but uh, let me show you a picture first of all of the group of kids uh, we showed you that you should just which, which screen is it? Uh, can you back up one and go to the first, the first group of all of them sitting on the do you have that shot? No? Okay, this, this one's good too uh, so these are the boys, and you might remember the first time we went, we gave them LSU hats and took a picture, and so this time we brought them buttons because that's what they had to give them uh, when I went to buy LSU things. Um, so they had buttons, and so that's what they were wearing the buttons, and some of them still had the hats. Uh, they are quite pristine, though. Uh, I guess there's a lot of respect for LSU swag over there. Uh, they keep them clean. So, um, so these are the boys, and as I told you last week, there's a girl's home now that's in a separate place. And, uh, and so this group of kids, they have a very a special story. And basically, if, if you look back at these verses, 
I believe that, that we see these verses come to life in the lives of these kids. Uh, father of the fatherless, protector of widows. These kids were homeless and kind of living on their own. Some of them are true orphans. Some of them just were not being cared for by their parents or the poverty level was just too intense. And they're kind of on their own. Some are runaways because of abuse and different things. Uh, and uh, so when it says father to the fatherless, protector of widows, um, I think we see that there in them. God settles the solitary in a home. We see that. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. And so I think that's a part of why the, these verses really uh, kind of leapt out at me last year and this year too, is because... You're, we get to see like a tangible example of, of how this happened. And, and we see that this, uh, this is like, these verses kind of capture uh, like parts of God's character and his heart and his desire. And so what God does is, you know, you see the, you see the fatherless, you see the widow, you know, the people who just, they don't have a covering. Um, you see the solitary, the lonely, you see the people who are in bondage and in prison. And God sees them, and he says, I'm going to change that situation. I'm going to change their lives. I'm going to intervene so that that's not the case. And, you know, in Scripture, we see, we see three kind of primary ways that, that, that God does that kind of rescuing um, and ways that he conveys his desire to give them a covering and give them a home and give them freedom. Um, he does it through creation. So he does it through the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the the seasons, uh, he does it through trees, and he does it through the Grand Canyon and the Swiss Alps and the whole state of Wyoming, and he just does his thing through creation. I think within creation, this is kind of my take, I think that also you could put anything that is created, uh, because that is an image of God. So I think through art, through literature, through um, music, I think you can put those kind of things through architecture, those, some of those kinds of things. I think you can even put creation as in like new life, that when somebody has a baby, it's just kind of this miraculous deal. And I think all those things God uses to point to him. Uh, so we see creation. Uh, he uses that to reach people. He uses the Bible to reach people. And so that's why I go to the Gideon's website sometimes and read testimonies about people sitting in their hotel room and taking that Bible out, and Jesus leads them right to himself through just a Bible. No preacher, no track, no whatever, just, just the Bible. Um, and so he uses the scriptures, and he's done that for, for a long time. And the third thing that we see him using to reach, uh, to reach people is he uses, like, the saints. He uses us. He uses the faithful ones who say, I will... I will go. And the difference between uh, creation being used and the Bible being used, uh, the difference between those things being used and us being used, is that the Bible doesn't have a choice. You know? He just uses it to reach people. The Grand Canyon doesn't have a choice. It just, it just sits there and looks awesome and points to him. Um, but with the saints, with us, the redeemed, we have a choice in it. And not only do we have a choice in it, God invites us into it. So he, he uses the Bible and he uses creation. But for us, he says, do you want to join me in this? You know? 
in our community groups, we, we've, we've talked about Christ as prophet and priest and king and how he invites us to join him in functioning in those ways to the world. He says, do you want to join me as a king with authority? Do you want to join me as a prophet to speak the messages of God and the truth of God? Do you want to join me as a priest to live sacrificially and to, um, to bring people before the throne and, and intercede for them and minister to them and care for them? Do you want to join me in that? And so he says, do you want to join me in pursuing verses like Psalm 68, 5 and 6? He said, do you want to go and, and put a covering over those who don't have a covering? Do you want to provide a home for the solitary? Do you want to lead prisoners out of that uh, bondage and, and into prosperity? And do you even want to go to the ones who are rebellious and, re- and reject me? And do you still want to offer them a way out of a parched land? Do you want to do that or not? And so the faithful saints who say yes get to be a part of that. So the next picture uh, is it's Nabine and Matilda. And so these are, these are the folks who have, have looked at the kind of concepts that happen in Psalm 68, 5 and 6. And God has said, do you want to join me in this? And they just simply said, yes, let's go. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples because I think it helps make things real. Uh, when it says father to the fatherless, the next picture is of a kid named uh, DePonker. And uh, he was, he was uh, he's not from the railway station. He was living in a slum. He uh, was pretty much just like fending for himself. He has, uh, he has a mom who, who I believe is just basically too sick to care for him. So he, at the age of like seven, six, seven years old, was like getting food for the family. And he was uh, trying to take care. He has two sisters trying to take care of them. He was being the man of the house at that age because his mom couldn't do it. And living on his own and uh, super, super smart. And somebody who was doing some ministry in that particular slum called Nabeen and was like, look, they got this kid. I know you take in boys. He's all by himself. His mom's probably not going to make it. Uh, they don't have any family support. He's just, he's the brightest, smartest kid. Uh, would you consider just offering him to come and live in your home? Nabeen said, yeah, we got, we got spots. Let's talk to him. The kid came. And uh, so he was there when John and I were there last January. And he, uh, he kept saying, what, what about my sisters? What about my sisters? And Nabeen I have to say, well, this is just a home for boys. Um, we'll try to find somewhere for your sisters. And it, it took a while. And then eventually, they were just like, well, we'll just rent an apartment and start a home for girls. So, uh, so now his sisters are in the home for girls. And so now all the siblings, they get to see each other on Sundays and stuff like that. And it's really, really cool. So when, when we say father to the fatherless, um, God said... Uh, this kid doesn't have a covering. His two sisters don't have a covering. Uh, they are essentially fatherless. I want to be a father to them. Nabeen, do you want to join me in being a father to, to them? And Nabeen just, and Nabeen Matilda said, yes, we want to join them. We want to join you in giving them a covering. Super simple, right? Uh, the next picture, this kid's name is Mahesh. And he's like 14 right now. Uh, the next part of that verse, it says... Uh, God settles the solitary in a home. Solitary meaning uh, all like alone, isolated, just completely fending for themselves. Mahesh was he was lived at the train station, 
uh, was a part of, of the gang life and all that kind of stuff. He got really, really sick, and his the other people in the gang who were also all children they don't they didn't know what to do couldn't get any help he kept getting worse and worse and worse so they put him in a burlap sack and sewed it shut and laid him on the the tracks of the uh, on the train tracks so that the train would come and hit him and he would be he'd be done with uh, put out of his miser- misery they didn't know what else to do with him there he was um, so he's in a lot of ways what I would say the definition of solitary. When you have nobody, when the, when the only people in your life who say, well, let's just put you in a sack and throw you on a, on a train because it's better for you to be hit by this train or whatever. Um, so he's all alone. And so I'm not really sure how the events played out, but I believe some of the adults at the train station, uh, somebody stepped in and, and got him off the tracks, got him to a hospital. And since Nabeen has a regular ministry there, he got in the loop and went to the hospital to visit uh, Mahesh the doctor said, this kid is not going to make it. There's nothing we can do for him, and we're, we're, and we're basically just not going to waste our time. And Nabeen said, well, what if, uh, can he stay here, but we'll come and we'll feed him, and we'll, uh, we'll tend to him, and we'll take care of all of his needs. Um, can we try and nurse him back into health? The doctor said, you're wasting your time. He's a slum kid. It doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, he's, he's not basically not worth the effort, but if you want to do it, that's fine. And so they began to pray, and they began to care for him. And uh, next thing you know, Mahesh gets better because Jesus is a healer. And uh, so then Mahesh, once he's healthy enough, Nabeans them say, you're going to come live with us. And he's like, that sounds great. And so now Mahesh, who was, he was solitary and alone, now he has been settled in a home at home, Hope of Life. So that verse uh, comes to life there. Um, next kid, uh, his, his name is Papu. And uh, Adam showed you his picture last week. Papu was, um, I think he kind of displays, uh, he leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Papu was living at the train station, part of a gang. Um, the older kids would get him, basically get him high, and then sell him for all kinds of just horrible things at the train station as a way of making money. And so he was, uh, he was being trafficked. So everybody's, you know, human trafficking is a hot topic right now, and it, and it should be. Uh, this kid was enslaved, basically. Um, and so when we say he leads the prisoners out of, uh, leads them out of prison and into prosperity, uh, Papu is one of the kids who was literally imprisoned and in bondage there. And Jesus has led him out into being uh, and Matilda said, we want to join God in leading this kid into prosperity. And so now he is uh, happy and, yeah, prospering. So we see that verse come to life. The next picture, uh, this is at the, at the railway station. Um, in the orange jacket, that's in the bean. The other three are, uh, uh, they live there at the station. They're gang members. The guy in the black jacket. His name is Anthony. And that's who Adam talked about last week that we had. Uh, he speaks pretty, pretty good English. And uh, we had a, a pretty, pretty awesome conversation with him. This is a picture from him, of him from last year. Uh, and he is the, he's a gang leader, but all the other gang leaders answer to him. So he's kind of the, the kingpin of the whole deal. Um, and I think he, 
really embodies the last part, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Uh, no matter how much Nabeen and his staff go and minister and care for him and connect with him and speak truth to him, he, he just doesn't want it. He just pushes away. And Adam described that interaction. Uh, he described it last week about how he really saw like some like pretty amazing penetration into this guy's heart and mind, and then he just just the walls went up, and he just pushed it away. And so he lives in a parched land. And the reason why I want to show his picture and say that he he represents that is the fact that Nabeen and those guys they keep going. You know, they go into the parched land, and they offer him a way out. And even though they keep saying no and they keep saying no, Nabeen and Matilda and their staff keep joining God in going to pursue them. So God says, I want to keep going and invite them out of that parched land. And the Hope of Life staff says, yes, we'll join you and we'll go. So when I say at Hope of Life, I see these verses come alive. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Real life stuff, real life people. Um, can you go back to the group shot for us? Um, and so, so you see that, but then the next picture of, of Nabeen and Matilda, um, I think that the, there are some things that I, th- that I believe God wants us as the Ring Community Church, regardless of, of how much you're involved. It, must be, it might be your first time. It doesn't matter. Uh, it might, you may be, maybe you've never missed a Sunday. That's fine, too, and everywhere in between. I think there's some things he wants us to remember about these folks right here um, and, and what they're doing and what they represent. One of those, one of those is that um, what God is doing there in Kolkata at Hope of Life is no more significant or deep or miraculous than what he's doing here in our city. It's the same. It's absolutely the same. It may look different. It may sound different. It may feel different emotionally. But it is exactly the same. Second thing is that uh, God's love for those kids at that railway station and in those slums that he's brought into hope of life is not greater than his love for you and for us and for our community, and our city, and our people here. He doesn't love them more. He doesn't love them less. His love is the same. So what he's doing is the same. His love is the same. And the third point is, is and I'll just kind of, let me just pass it on to you the way it was kind of passed on to me. All right? Um, don't dare exalt Nabeen and Matilda and what they're doing and all this kind of stuff as if we don't have the same exact opportunities placed in front of us every single day. And that was, that was hard for me to hear from the Lord because I was just really just so like, just looking at them and be like, they're so faithful and they're so awesome. They're so, and they are all those things. And I found myself kind of exalting what they're doing and almost being, like, almost being envious in, in a sense, you know. And kind of had that thing of like, well, you know, if I live there and, and God told me to go, like, I'd do the same thing. I'd start a home and I'd do this and this and this and this and this. And God was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. What are you, what are you doing? 
You think that what they're, what's going on there is more exciting for some reason? You think, the, you think the ones without a covering, it's different than people without a covering here? You think the prisoners there is different from prison here? You think the solitary there is different than the solitary here? Said, no, no, no. What I'm doing there, I'm doing in Baton Rouge. My love there is my love in Baton Rouge. And, and all, what makes Nabeen and Matilda like such, something that we look up to so much is just simply the fact that they just said yes. They just said yes. They didn't come up with a bunch of bull excuses. They just said, we'll join you in going to do this. So let me walk through these verses again. And this time, instead of thinking about India, let's think about Baton Rouge. Let's think about the ring. Let's think about our lives. Um, Let's look at verse 5 again. We'll put the... Yeah. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Father of the fatherless. Protector of widows. As I said last week, I think that's to be taken literally and figuratively. So in a literal sense, I think Christians are supposed to be looking at our lives and saying, are there any orphans? Are there any widows? And so, yeah, our, at our church, yeah, guess what? He's connected us to some orphans in India. He's connected us to the uh, same situation at Casa Hogar in Monclova. So, yeah, he's connected us there. Has he connected us to widows yet? Well, maybe not yet. But maybe he will. I mean, at some point, we weren't doing... Uh, a lot of the things that we are doing now. And so maybe there's something in our, in our path that involves ministry to widows. We'll see. But I think in a figurative sense, too, if we're looking at people who just don't have a covering, because that's, that's the biblical idea where it comes from, is that uh, you know, the, it, was, it was a, uh, a male-dominated culture back then. So where there was not a father or a husband in place, uh, there was not a provider, there was not a protector, there was not all that. And, and certainly things, things are different now, so don't get mad at me for saying that. I'm saying that's how it was. And so when you talk about widows and orphans, you're talking about people, like I keep saying, they don't have a covering, they don't have protection, they don't have uh, overseers, you know, they don't have that, that security and stuff that comes from that. And so we look around our world and we say, okay, who, who out there doesn't have a covering? They don't have... Um, they just don't have people looking out for them. So that's why, that's why Hope of Life, Casa Hogar, yeah, absolutely. But you know, that, that's also why, that's where Breakfast on the Levee is rooted. That's where, um, like, getting drivers on Sunday afternoon, you know what I'm talking about? That's where that's rooted. We're looking around saying, who, who is uncovered? We're about to start something else in a couple weeks with a new, another ministry in town. We'll tell you about that on Mother's Day. Uh, then that, that's people who don't have a covering. We're involved at the women's and children's shelter, lack of covering. We're involved at the men's shelter, lack of covering. So as a church, God is, has led us into specific ministries where it's the same thing as hope of life. Right? Same thing. God's doing the same thing. His love is the same. 
He's just looking for people that'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll join you in that. And I think that's where the personal application comes, comes down to, is, is how much are we personally saying yes to the opportunities that God puts in front of us to look out for those who don't have covering. And I mean that as a challenge, because we have, we have some very faithful folks who have said yes to those things I just named. And outside of those few faithful, it's, it's not a very wide group of people. Um, and that's not meant to be a guilt trip or a hammer drop or anything like that. What I'm, I think God is, was telling me, for me, and also to relay to you as one of your pastors is, don't say, man, Nabina Matilda are doing all this great stuff when he's laid out opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity right in front of us over and over and over again to do the same exact stuff. And say, will you join me at the levee? Will you join me at the shelters? Will you join me driving on Sunday afternoon? Will you join me in this? Will you join me in this? Will you join me in this? Sometimes we say yes and sometimes we say no. So that opportunity is in front of you, in front of me. Um, outside of that, though, I think there's some more personal applications. Uh, you look, look around your life and see, do I know any, anybody that doesn't have a covering, you know, that doesn't have family, that doesn't have uh, those kinds of connections, that doesn't have community in, in that regard? Do you know anybody, do you know any elderly folks? Do you... Know of neighbors who are who are lonely. You know, do you know of um, you know do you do you have those family members that that you know just don't get visited very much? Do you pass by uh, an old folks' home and you're always like, I should go hang out with them? That's all. That's all the same kind of stuff. Father, father to the fatherless, protector of widows. It's the Lord in His holy habitation. Let me tell you one more that I want to just kind of let me just float it out there. Um, is uh, foster care and adoption that we are literally surrounded by, like kids who need families all the time, all just constantly, constantly. I, I read an article like it's been a while now, I guess where. Uh, where Rick Warren uh, met with the uh, the foster care agency in in their county in California, I found out how many kids they have uh, up for adoption in the foster care program, and uh, got that number, and it was basically the same number as like number of small groups in their church, and so he just went to their church and said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, God is not joking about taking care of the fatherless, so. We're going to, every one of our small groups is going to start praying for somebody in those small groups to uh, enter the foster care program and adopt kids that are, that are in the program so that we can basically eliminate the entire foster care program for our, for our, our whole county. And the church is like, are you crazy? Seriously, Rick? But I tell you what, they... They're putting a pretty big dent in it because people really started praying. And they realized, you know what? There's, we shouldn't, we sh- there, shouldn't be an, there shouldn't be that need. 
that's hanging out there, and the church just kind of looks the other way. Um, father to the fatherless, is, it's absolutely serious. Now, if you live on this earth, grow old and die, and you never adopt a kid, I'm not saying that you're being disobedient. Okay? So please, don't, don't feel me piling pressure on you. All right? But, but I believe it is something that we should pray toward. And there's probably some folks in here who you've been thinking about it or whatever, and uh, you're like, great, just move on to the next point, you know. Uh, and there's some of you that maybe that's on your, in your long-range plan and, you know, that kind of stuff. And some of you are like me. You're not married. I can't go adopt somebody. That's just, that's weird, you know. So, uh, so what I have to do is I have to figure out, all right, what does this look like in my life until I'm maybe able to do that or whatever. But the whole thing is about obedience. And I just believe that, that that's, that's a part of the trajectory for our church is I think we're going to start to see more and more of that. Um, not as a blanket rule for everybody, but I think, I think that we really just need to, to look at this and say, all right, God, is this something that you're calling some of our families, some of our couples to, to do? Um, we're just literally surrounded by this verse. So we can't exalt going to a train station and inviting kids out of that when he's put the same opportunities right in front of us. All right? That's, that's that. Uh, the next one. Next part of the verse, uh, or next verse. God settles the solitary in a home. It's basically talking about people who are lonely, people who are isolated, um, people who are, are strangers, you know. Uh, I believe that that's like one of the things about our Sunday night, afternoon, whatever we are now, gatherings, uh, and about our community groups, is that we're, we're trying to in, invite people in and for those who are, who are living in solitude, for those who are isolated, they don't have community, they don't have family, they don't have those connections, they don't have accountability, they don't have whatever. They're, they're just kind of out there flying solo. We're trying to, to invite them in. We're trying to open up the doors to this place and say, come in, and, and maybe God wants you to settle in, in this home, you know? Maybe God wants to, you to come into one of our small groups and settle into that home. And so those are two incredible opportunities for us to, to live out a verse like this. Um, and so the personal application for that really comes down to like our individual roles in hospitality with people. Is when, when someone who is lonely, who is living in isolation, who is whatever, when they walk in the doors here or in your community group, what's, what's going to be our role in, in, in helping them get settled? You know? We looked at Mahesh's story, Nabeen and them. They, they went to the hospital. They nursed him back to health. They, they did all that kind of stuff. There was, there was effort in, in helping Mahesh settle in the home. And what, are, what are we going to do? And yeah, it begins with being nice, you know, being friendly, that kind of stuff. But, but it goes it goes beyond that. Um, if 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 this is truly like a, a family gathering, and if your community group is truly a family gathering, uh, if if you're having Christmas Eve dinner with all your relatives, and somebody brings a guest, and you never talk to them, that's weird, right? Weird. Well, that's what happens when somebody comes in here and nobody talks to them. It's the same thing. It's just just as weird for them. Maybe more so. 
Because Christmas Eve gatherings, you expect a little bit of craziness with people's families, right? But you would hope that the church would be the most hospitable place that there is. And so at our, our last like, membership meeting, just, I just kind of challenged everybody. That maybe like the, fir- the first, f- the 15 minutes before we gather on Sunday nights and the 15 minutes after, maybe that could be for other people and not just for us, you know? Maybe we can kind of look around and be like, who don't I know? Who's at my family gathering that I don't know? Because you know what? They might be solitary. They might be Psalm 68, 6, that walked into the door. Someone who is living on their own, and God is leading them, uh, settling in, in a home. And God says, will you join me in helping them settle in to your community group? So don't exalt Nabina and Matilda for what they did with Mahesh when we have the same opportunities all the time, all the time, all the time. And I think, personally, it goes beyond that. Because you probably work with people who are solitary. You know, you probably live around people who are kind of loners. You, you might have roommates. You might have um, people on your street. You might coworkers, all that kind of stuff. You know people who you look at them and you're like, I, kn- I know that person is, is, is completely living separate from everybody else. So have them over to dinner sometime. So eat lunch with them sometime. So start working to build that relationship because maybe, maybe that's joining God and helping them settle into the home that is community. Um, next part, uh, the prisoners. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. I think for us, some of the, the prison, so to speak, that, that we deal with, uh, the, the big one is, is imprisonment to sin. Right? That we're born, we're born separate from God imprisoned to self-centered and sinful desires. And Jesus, that's what, the, that's what the cross is about. That's what we've been singing about, is his, his breaking of that bondage and bringing us into abundant life, crossing over from death into life. That that is corporately what we offer. That's the kind of, 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 of bondage that we offer people a way out of. That's the kind of prosperity that we invite them into, is the gospel. You know, uh, There's also... Like there's also there's like dealing with sin, like that kind of sin. There's also dealing with sins, you know, for those who are who have been set free but but keep returning, you know, you're caught in that rut. Um, you're caught in 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 the rut, whether it's materialism or lust or pride or you know, all these things that where it's like it's like that that other kind of bondage that you've returned to. And and that's the where the gospel continues as we're in sanctification and growth and freedom from that. And so that's, that's, why, that's why our our corporate gatherings and our community groups, we don't sit around and talk about these things that are like an inch deep all the time just to get folks coming in the door. Because that doesn't do any good, really. We're going to dive deeply because the gospel dives deeply. And that's where we find freedom from sin and salvation and from sins in our sanctification, and we learn to walk in that abundance more and more and more. So personal application for that is just that continued deal, that you're, that you're going into, uh, into the relationships where God sends you, and you're saying, I'll join you in being a prophet, I'll join you in being a priest, and I'll have the authority of a king in, in walking that stuff out. And there's other kinds of, there's, we deal a good bit with addiction here. Um, I mean, not in like mass numbers, but it seems like we pretty much are always helping, helping like joining Jesus and walking somebody out of that kind of bondage that's there. Uh, all those kinds of things, you, you join in the same stuff. The personal application is exactly the same. He just sends us into people's lives, 
And he says, look, I'm gonna, I want to set this person free. You want to join me? And he's just looking for folks that will say, yeah, I want to I join you in that. I won't come up with some excuse. I'm just going to say yes. And then the last part, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. That you pretty much, like, you just keep going into those tough relationships. And those, your family members that think you are absolutely crazy, you know? Those people at work that give you a nickname that's connected to your faith somehow in a weird way, you know? You just, you keep going into the parched land. The being keeps going to that train station, even though these, these guys keep telling him, no, I don't, I don't want what you have to offer. I don't want it. I don't want it. He goes. He smiles. He, like, messes with them. He knows their names. And they light up when he comes in. And I believe that consistency is going to eventually lead some out of that parched land. And we're the same exact way. So, I think God really wants us to, to realize what, like, the opportunity that's in front of us. That he's, what he's doing here, just as big, just as miraculous, just as exciting, um, just as everything as what he's doing over there. That his love for you and the people you live with and work with and those, your families and those relationships is just, just as much as the kids that live in that house and the kids that are still at that train station. It's the same. And he's given us the same opportunity he gave Nabine and Matilda. It's the same thing. It's happening all over the planet, all over the time. God's saying, I'm going to go get them. I'm going to get them through creation, but you, can't, you really can't help me out with that unless, just, unless you're just like pointing to it and be like, somebody made that. Okay, that's cool. And the Bible, yeah, you use the Bible. But really what he's saying, I, I think, is, do you want to join me in this? Do you want to join me in adoption and foster care? Do you want to join me in driving on Sunday afternoons? Do you want to join me at the levee? Do you want to join me in reaching out to that coworker who's just a complete loner and you know it? Do you want to join me in speaking truth to this person who has never been set free from sin? Do you want to join me in speaking truth to that person who has been set free from sin but keeps returning to it and just accepted the bondage that is there? Do you want to join me in reaching that person that just continues to reject me over and over and over again? Do you, he's just looking for faithful saints. That's all he's looking for. And so let's, let's exalt Nabine and Matilda. Yeah, let's admire their faithfulness and, their, and the goodness and the things God's doing through them. Let's, let's admire that, but let's, let's see it for what it is. They just said yes. They just said yes to him. So I don't, I don't know how, how, where this meets you in your life and in your journey. Um, I, I know where it met me. I know where it continues to meet me. But I think that's like one of the things that that I like so much about uh, what I get to do is uh, I just get to kind of like put the ball in your court, and then then it's on you. It's on me. I think that's that's how God does it. I think He conveys truth and messages and that kind of stuff, and then we get to be the ones who either say yes or we get to be like the rebellious. And honestly, we get to live in a parched land if we tell him no. Um, so, there it is. Floated it out there. Let's do with it. Uh, do with it what you will. Let's be good stewards, though, of what he's stirring in us. Let's pray. Lord, um, 
so grateful for uh, for Nabine and for Matilda. And um, I certainly don't want to downplay what they're doing because it is of incredible significance. But that's that's obedience. Obedience to you is always significant. And uh, so help us to um, to be encouraged and, and spurred on and challenged by their example. But don't let us lose sight of the fact that it's the same stuff you're doing here. Because your love is the same. And the opportunities in front of us, they look different, they sound different, they feel different. But really, we're, we're thinking about the kingdom. They're, they're really no different at all. That the, the lies you tell over there, the same ones you... I'm sorry, not you. The lies that the enemy tells over there, the same ones he tells here. That the self-centeredness that leads to um, idol worship over there, it's the same self-centeredness that leads to idol worship over here. That in imprisonment and being lonely and not having a covering... And rebellion, uh, they look the same over there as they, it's the same stuff over here. Just flashes out a little different. But above all that, um, Jesus is the solution over there. And Jesus, you are the solution here. And so help us, God, to not uh, just to, to not forget that, that we're talking about a kingdom. We're talking about a global kingdom, a global movement that's all dealing with this, the same stuff down at the root with one beautiful solution that, that's just right there in front of us. And as you invite us in, may we, may we just simply just say yes to you. May we pray those things forward. May we just pursue your will for our lives. But help us to not just dismiss things and to look at what is happening in Hope of Life and say, well, I can never do that. I don't have enough faith or I'm not good enough at this and this and this and this. Help us to not buy into the lies of comparison and Just to, to stand in the real, the real truth of our identity. That we are prophets and we are priests and we are kings with you. We love you so much and uh, we pray this all in your name. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand up together. Uh, last week, we did two songs at the end and... Uh, and there was, you know, we were kind of stirred up, and it was kind of, we sang these songs with, like, India in mind. And um, so we're going to do the same two songs again this week, but, but with, maybe with Baton Rouge in mind, maybe with the people in your life in mind, maybe with the levee in mind, or Sunday afternoon driving, or potential adoption and fostering, or whatever, whatever it might be. Let's sing these songs with, with those faces and our streets and our people and our culture in mind. 
uh, to recognize that, that as much as we were feeling these songs for, for the kids over there, um, we, this is the same thing that we're called to today. All right, so let's sing.